Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Woody Book Club podcast. I am Maddie here with Courtney. Hello, and today we will be reviewing Divine Rivals by Rebecca Ross. Uh, a cutesy, cozy, warm little fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that this book, I think, really distinguished for me the difference between like romance subplot fantasy and fantasy subplot romance like this one felt like romance and the subplot is fantasy like it's just something that's Mm -hmm. happening but it's not like and there are like there's political things happening i guess because there's a war but it doesn't remind me of like the akotar books or like um the fourth wing books where like the overarching plot is a war it feels like the overarching plot is the relationship between two characters um yeah the, the book feels like a studio ghibli movie yeah yeah oh that's a like that's a description like that's like even when i'm reading it and i'm like picturing like these grass fields that she's describing and stuff like that like i'm just seeing it studio ghibli i didn't think of that but like that sums it up so perfectly and I think it really encaptures, like, the plot, too, because, like, the Studio Ghibli movies, like, they typically have something, like, some serious underlying uh, theme that they're trying to portray, but it's, like, still cutesy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, like, perfect. Um, but I I really liked this book. It follows Iris Winnow and uh roman kit who in the beginning are journalists competing for one position and iris has been going through some stuff she's been going through some heavy stuff there's a war going on between some crazy gods um that are like sirens singing people into their service um and Iris has recently lost her mother, and her brother is off in war, Uh, and Roman Kit is a privileged white boy um, who works at the paper with her. They have a little bit of a work rivals type scenario. Um, To me, that only lasted like a very brief period of time, um, because iris decides she needs kind of like a change in her life um she's seeing some things that are making her question like the narrative that's being written about the war and so she decides she can go be a little journalist at the front lines crazy gal um and another really interesting thing that's happening throughout this plot um is iris has this typewriter um that she got from her grandmother and she uses it and she like can slide notes under the door or under wherever and then she'll receive notes back so there, it's a magical typewriter um and we don't know who in this portion of the review we don't know who has the other typewriter who is writing her back um so we just follow mostly iris throughout the war um and kit as well as they start to go from workplace rivals to lovers um our fave our fave uh, <laughs> um uh it's but it's really comfy cozy it it reminds me of like a marriage between like i don't want to say sarah j mass but just like sarah j mass for the fantasy element and like emily henry um but then make it like more whimsical and cozy 
Yeah. Like, you want to have, like, a cup of hot cocoa and fuzzy socks yes, on when you read this. absolutely. Um, I would say that it gives me, like, it reminds me of, like, a cozy video game. Yeah. Like a cozy story-based video game. Totally. Um, um, and the writing in this book is absolutely impeccable. So good. Like, it's crazy also, like, how well they communicate with one another. And, like, it just goes to show that, like, if you're a writer, then you can write and, like, communicate really well. And if you are not, you cannot communicate very well. Which is something that I personally struggle with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rebecca uh, Ross is definitely very talented. And I have a couple of her mm-hmm. other books, like River Enchanted, that I just haven't gotten into yet. But it's definitely, like, a very specific niche category of fantasy mm-hmm. um but i feel like for this time of year too when it's starting to get colder outside and like i mean the book mostly depicts like fields and stuff like that but i, I think it just the cozy vibe really fits like the staying inside next to a fire mm-hmm. drinking a tea or coffee or something so yeah great timing um okay so for those of you who haven't joined us before maddie and i usually will talk about whether or not we recommend the book generally to readers whether we'd recommend it to our um sisters who are underaged uh and then we go through four pillars which we assess the book on and that's witty banter character development smut and realism and then we give it an overall score so we're going to jump right in uh maddie would you recommend this book to a fellow reader Yes, I would. I think I'd only recommend it to a certain group of people because this book is YA and that that, uh, we'll talk about it a little bit, but that was like the one thing I didn't like about it is like, I'm just not a big fan of YA. I say after I'm like, Ooh, I got to read the Hunger Games again. But, uh, (laughs) but generally like I'm not a huge fan of YA. So I would, I would recommend it to almost everybody. But if somebody's like, I just want smut. I'm like, this is not the one that you're gonna be interested yeah. in. Yeah, I can totally I totally see that. I personally I love a lot of different YA romance series, fantasy romance. Um and again this is more of like a romance subplot fantasy. But like I loved Cruel Prince. I liked um Once Upon a Broken Heart, uh the Shatter Me series. That one gets a little more frisky towards the end. Um, but I, I generally did like it. I think it's definitely, I don't know. I think like the, the Kotar girlies who are like diehards, um, and like the really diehard fourth wing people might not like it just because they really like, I feel like they have a really niche interest in those kinds of books. Um, and again, people who read mostly smut, like this is more I think that feeds into like the comfy cozy vibe is the fact that there isn't really any smut in here and I guess we'll just have to kind of rate it on romance when we get to that point later on down the line um but no I really liked it I think a lot of people would like it I think it would just maybe not be what they were expecting um but yeah I would recommend it especially during this time of year like something you can read in your family's living room without feeling like you're a, a right. pervert so <laughs> um or you could like read it at the airport without you know right being um, and of course embarrassed i read 
I read this one on my iPad, of course. Like, I have the physical copy, and I bought the physical copy, like, months ago. Uh-huh. But I was laying in bed, and I got, like, a Kindle. Un- I have Kindle Unlimited, and I got a notification that it's on there. And I was like, okay, I'll just start reading it on here. And then I just read almost the entire thing in one night. <laughs> yeah. Um, on my iPad. I also, I read it on my phone. I think I need to get a physical copy when the second book comes out, because, again... Maddie and I love mm-hmm. to have our little book trophies. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's definitely something that you could like sit down and read in one sitting just because it's very compelling. And like, if you have like a, a lazy Saturday, lazy Sunday where you just sit in your jammies and like pull out your phone, it's the vibes are good. Good vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, They're very good vibes. Okay. That being said, would you recommend this to your underage sister? Yeah, there. Listen, there's like a little bit of like, it's not even smut. It's like a little bit of like discussing what's going on at one point in time, um. But it's not like overtly descriptive or anything like that. So I'd say it's fine for anybody under the age of eighteen. Maybe not under the age of like fourteen ish, you know. But definitely like somebody who's underage can read this book and it's fine. In my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. Even with my sisters, um, like, I, my parents, I I grew up in, like, a relatively religious household, so, like, uh, my parents are very cautious about anything that has to do with smut, intercourse, whatever, um, in media. But that being said, I think, like, most of the time, it just kind of, like, it's not really descriptive and it just kind of alludes to things that are happening so it's not i don't think it's super inappropriate i think it'd be fine for my sister to read it my sister is also like going to turn 18 very soon so like she's on the higher cusp of that but yeah i probably wouldn't let my kid read it if they were like a freshman in high school or something what about Maybe claire claire mm, probably not um but that's also just because claire really likes um like murder mystery type books so i don't think she would be as into this one um but no i I definitely think an underage person could read this and it would be fine i think so too like like i said there's like one part so like if you're a parent who's watching this and you're like i really don't know there is one part you can look it up it's like towards the end of the book um and it's a little descriptive but there's no like actual descriptions of what's happening yeah you know what i mean yeah i think it like it maybe straddles the line but i think it's okay yeah Um, yeah it's i think it's i think it's definitely part of like this new era of ya where it's like slightly risque where like when i was reading ya at 13 like there was no risqueness in it well that's not true i read pretty little liars but like there's a little bit of it's not crazy it's nothing like it's i mean it's not like the tv show but it's you know, still a little risque. You still have Ezra and Arya. Ugh. Weird. Uh. Yeah. 22-year-old Ezra and 15-year-old Ooh. Arya Montgomery. Creepy. Um, yeah. Yikes. Big yikes. Anyways, that, this is not that. Nope. Um, but it's <laughs> also not, not like that. it's not PETA just went into Comfort Katniss and slept in her room and nothing happened. It. Nothing happened. Yeah, we all know something happened there. (laughs) (laughs) 
that boy was, was telling- whipped yeah he, he oh, was- oh yeah <laughs> although it makes it even more frustrating when katniss is just freaking kissing everybody every two seconds like, get a grip girl and then anyway. she doesn't even kiss finnick the hottest one there come on Literally, that'd be weird, though, because she's, like, 16, 17 years old. Oh, and 17 he's... and catching fire, and he's 25. Okay, that's fair. I guess I'm picturing, <laughs> yeah. like, the movie Finnick, and I'm like, how could you, how could you resist? Um... <laughs> yeah, every time I catch myself, like, watching a Tom Blythe edit on TikTok now from The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I have to be like, this man murdered Finnick. He murdered Finnick. <laughs> Uh, you should read the book. But okay, anyway, I know, I know. Okay, okay. Now we'll go into our pillars, and we'll start with Woody Banter. Uh, they had pretty good banter when they were rivals, which is about a hundred pages or so. Mm-hmm. I would say that it's good, but it's not like great because it's very clear that he likes her from like the start and she's just very like not into him so like that oh every time that happens though i always feel like it like diminishes the the amount of like the enemies to lovers rivals to lovers tropes just because like if you like them at the beginning like it's not gonna feel the same as like if you really just like i hate this person so much now i'm in love it wasn't really like a a hatred thing it was more like it was definitely competitiveness i think too like he he definitely likes her and i don't think that she doesn't like him i think she's just so focused on like all the other stuff that's happening with her family and in the world that like she doesn't have time to think about something like romance yeah yeah so i would probably give it like a three okay i think it's i think it's probably a three two like they they're both intelligent individuals i think their dialogue is really good it may not be Mm -hmm. witty but like the discussions they have, um, I think, are pretty good. And like, yeah, it's just really hard to, especially in the beginning, like the 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 rivals work rivals subplot kind of only lasts very briefly um, before Iris goes to the front lines, and that obviously kind of changes the dynamic. That being said, it's not like some of these other books where we talked about like half baked plots. Like it definitely mm-hmm. fits into the plot really well, but like it her being removed from that competitive arena with him removes the like underlying ability for the author to kind of create witty banter, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um and this is also just like as much as this is comfy cozy, like the undertones of the story are very serious with like the war that's going on. And so there's not a lot of room to like make witty comments because it's kind of a dire situation mm-hmm. if that makes sense um but yeah i think a three is a solid reading that being said their dialogue is still really good so it's not like it's, it's a negative reflection of the book the book is still really good. yeah okay uh character developments um i think that they both had really good character development um we're kind of at this place where like the book ends i'm obviously not gonna say what happens but like there's two potential outcomes that i think could come from what where we're at now and i think 
that their character development is just like it's the book is written so well that I genuinely don't know what will happen next and like I can't even like guess what will happen next and because of that their character development it can be like they they they're totally different people than what they were at the beginning of the book they're a, a totally different situation um at the end of the book than they were at the beginning and everything is just different for them but we haven't seen the conclusion of the impacts of what has just happened on one of the characters in the story mm -hmm. and because of that i just don't know what to expect next <laughs> yeah. um so i would give it like a five uh, a four actually i'd give it a four i don't think it's perfect i i think part of the reason it's not perfect is because i think the book is too short actually and like there's just not enough build up to certain things i don't want to talk about like what i'm what i want to say i'm trying to like <laughs> I'm trying to, like, dance around it because Talk I'm like, I, I know what I want to say, but, like, I don't, yeah, I'm trying not to, like, spoil anything for anybody. So I probably just sound like I'm talking nonsense right now. But, like, I, I don't know. I give it a four. That's the end of the story. <laughs> I think, I think I concur with a four. Um, I really liked, so Roman, they, they start off on very different levels, socioeconomic levels. Um. Mm -hmm. Iris, as much as she likes her job because of the content, because she likes writing, she also needs it. Um, and, uh, like, it feels like it's really all she has. Whereas Kit, uh, Roman Kit comes from, like, a really wealthy family. The position at the newspaper is also about, like, prestige. Um, and his family's reputation. He's very privileged. Uh, and that being said, he's still very, like, open-minded, I think, and, like, he has a very soft heart. Um, so, like, I, I think that real character development lines individually throughout this book are Iris, um, dealing with, like, all of this awful stuff that has happened and, like, the loss of her family, uh, and the uncertainty regarding, like, her brother, whether or not he's alive, where he is, because he's out fighting in the war. And in spite of all that, um, taking a leap of faith and doing something that, like, challenges her professionally and personally, uh, and being really brave. Um, and then I feel like for Roman, it's, it's taking all the privilege he has and, like, almost humbling himself, um, because they, they end up, essentially in the same place towards the mid part of the book right and so like i think it's this really good equilibrium of the characters like i think despite everything that roman has because of his grandmother he's able to be pretty humble and um do what he thinks is right and his parents are also kind of like emotionally manipulative um and so like standing up for himself. I think these are all things that, like, as much as this book is fantasy that we can all resonate with, like, dealing with tragedy and trying to be brave and also recognizing when you have privilege and then trying to be a good person or avoiding emotional manipulation by family members, like, those are pretty common things that everyday people deal with. So I thought that that brought a good 
depth to the book. And so I really liked the character development. But yeah, I, we have no idea <laughs> where this is going to go from here. So I think no. that's a little bit of a it, it's a good thing like it it's brilliant writing but it makes it hard to to nail down exactly what the character development is going to be because we don't know where this is going yeah so yeah i just like i don't know i don't want to get too much into it in the <laughs> non-spoiler portion um okay okay uh yeah. smut slash romance because if okay, it's there's like, like no smoke. <laughs> there's oh, so there's no smut. There's no smut in this book. Like I said, it's like kind of there, but not at all. Like how normal romance smut is. I was gonna say that the smut is kind of like red, white, and royal blue, where like mm-hmm. you know what's happening, but you don't. It's like not super descriptive. But red, white, and royal blue is way more descriptive than what happens. In yeah, less explicit. Yeah. Um, but still, that's kind of what it reminds me of. But the romance is good. I like their relationship. I think it moves a little fast, but it's YA, so like... I also just, I love a he falls first scenario. Yeah. It's just, and like, it's also just like, it's just cute, and we keep saying that it's cozy, but it is. Like, it's just like a cozy little romance. Like, they're just drinking their tea and their coffee and just writing and... It's just cozy and cute, okay? So cozy, cutesy. Yeah. Fight us. So I think I give it a five. I, okay, I would give their romance a five too, because I, like I said, I love when the dude falls first. I love it. I think it's so cute. Um, and I also think, like, he's just, he's, he's sick. He's ill for this woman, like. (laughs) He gives up yeah, everything okay. for her. Mm-hmm. Not right. sick, like like alcohol. I know, I got it. Sick, but like, <laughs> like love sick. Not deranged. But- <laughs> he's just, he's just like, ugh, little belly ache. Just very from the butterflies. Very committed. Uh and I love that. And I also like the the. Okay, I can't talk about it because I don't want to give it away. But like. Mm-hmm. Some of the correspondence that they have, I think, is so cute. Um, mm-hmm. It's just so cutesy, and like, I'm like kicking my feet, giggling, reading it, and like, oh my god, <laughs> he loves her. Uh, so it's definitely a five for me, <laughs> right? Um, right. And then like a one on smut, I guess. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah, really. but the smut- romance is a five. Yeah, I would say the same. Um, yeah, the smut does not really <laughs> exist. So, I don't think that that would be fair to give it a lower rating than one. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I can't give it an NA because it is technically in there, but it's not. I feel it's like just not. I don't know how to describe it. I feel like this is. I think we did the same thing with like Sarah Adams' books too. Because hers is yeah. just kind of like fade to black, but I don't think we gave yeah. it for low scores. See, this is not quite a fade to black, okay? It's so mm-hmm. hard to talk about what how, the smut in this book, okay? It is one scene. Um, it is not descriptive, but at the same time, you know what is going yeah. on. You know what's so, happening. But it's not to the same level of you know what's going on. 
as Red, White, and Royal Blue, which has a similar model to this, where it's, like, not explicitly saying what's happening, but you have an idea of what's happening. Right. This, you have an idea of what's happening, but it's not as explicitly known as, like, what's happening. Yeah. I sound like a crazy person. (laughs) On that note, let's jump into realism. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, (laughs) well, in the world that it takes place in, everything seems to make sense. I I feel like we should replace realism like we always do with the magic system, because magic system applies more to this than that. Um, These two are basically just like texting, but like magical texting. Um, and it's cute. Yeah. Um, the magic system is, it feels well thought out. Basically, you have two gods that are fighting with each other. You learn why they're fighting with each other. And each one of them has their own little powers that they use to try and beat the war. Some parts of it, the magic system kind of, like, blurs into, like, our line of... One thing I'm very confused about is, like, the time period that this is supposed to be taking mm-hmm. place in. Because it feels like, like, uh, her brother was born in 1892 or something like that, right? So he's born in the 1800s. And it feels like 1800s England when we're, when you're reading this. Or Ireland or, you know, some uh, one of those countries in that region. And it just, it feels like that. But then at the same time, like, they've got, like, AKs, they've got bombs, and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, okay, so, like, it's not quite that. It's not quite the 1800s, you you know, old English colonies area. It's, like, also not modern. (laughs) The way they describe the warfare at the front lines is very reminiscent of World War I. So that is very much how I was picturing. I was but actually then, thinking World War Two. Well, it's the reason it's the trenches. What makes me think of World War One? But the way that Iris is described makes me think of like nineteen forties women. The bombs that go off remind me of nineteen of like World War Two. Yeah, like how they drop bombs from the sky, like planes but it's not planes i'm not gonna tell you what it's with but it's not planes (laughs) i feel like yeah i think it's i think it's just because maybe we're trying to like compartmentalize it to our personal human history as opposed to like this created one but it 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 definitely it's it's like a combination of stuff from the 1800s the 1920s 1940s so on and so forth Mm -hmm. um but, like, the way that they describe the clothes that they're wearing, too, it reminds me a lot of, like, World War II. Um, but then the, the trenches are such, like, a big part of the front lines. And by the time we got to World War II, that was, like, that was a very much World right. War I type thing. So I think it's just pulling on, like, um, real-life references um, in this fantasy world. But, yeah, it's definitely – maybe we'll call it a happy medium. 1930s. <laughs> um uh but yeah i i think i think it's pretty i I guess in terms of like the magic system it's very well thought out it's written really well i think some of the the part that detracts from realism in general for me is the timeline um because like i like 
I, I definitely agree that I think the book could have been longer with like, especially the buildup between them in the workplace rivals scenario. Like I wish that would have carried on throughout longer in the book. Um, and then the pacing of like, Iris is by herself for a while. I thought the pacing of that was pretty good. Uh, and then the end just felt like really fast too. Uh, I mm-hmm. wish we had some more time in that like third act area. Um, but I mean, yeah, they like fall in love and commit to each other crazy fast. Um, yeah. So that detracts like a little bit, but I also think it's it's cute in a sense, you know, that they're like right that devoted to each other. And it Iris finds something out, and then she's like, oh, okay, I do really like this person. Like, right. Uh, it it's definitely like the turning point for her, and it was kind of like building up to a, a liking of him, but it, it's kind of like a boom fall quickly in love um whereas like he's been pretty consistent about liking her a lot throughout the book so i would give it i guess like a four then i think all those things considered realism (laughs) slash magic we're like just marrying a bunch of categories (laughs) this episode right um okay so overall score one to five i gave it a four strictly because of the pacing issue and it was a hard four to give because the writing in this book is so good that i was like it is a five like the like the writing is a five like this is she knows how to tell a story okay Mm -hmm. she's doing a great job with it and i love i just love their communication i love all that sort of stuff but it just felt and this is an issue because it's ya that their relationship just went from point a to point b actually point a to point z really so fast that it was kind of just like, oh, okay, so this happened, now this has happening, now this happened, now this is gonna happen, now this happened, and it's just kind of like not as thought out. I don't know how to exp- like I don't know. It's the book is great. Do not get me wrong. And it's definitely only a four for me because I'm not a fan of YA in general, I think. But it is very good. I also gave it a four for similar reasons. Like, the pacing towards the end really threw me off. Um, But, like, it takes someone really special to write a story where, like, you really just don't have any idea what's going to happen next. And it leaves off on kind of a cliffhanger. Um, And now, like, there's other books we've read that have cliffhangers where, like, I'm not certain what's going to happen. Like, that's how I felt about Iron Flame. I don't really know what's going to happen. I have multiple guesses. I know what the end outcome is going to be. I just don't know how they're going to get there um right at least i think i do and like here i don't know um but the story brilliant author really compelling story i think i sat down and read it in like one or two days as well um just on my phone and i don't know i think like it just brings up such a a warm fuzzy feeling reading it like I don't know, it, it, but it, it has a few flaws, and it's not, like, my favorite YA book ever. Um, I'll say this here and now, and it will be difficult for me to ever change my opinion on this, but, like, my favorite YA series ever, ever, ever is the Crow Prince series, and I don't think that will ever change. I just love it so much. Um, but, like, this one's really brilliant, and I, I don't know, the world is very, like, immersive, too. Like, you read, and you feel like you're there. Um, so that's just really cool as well. But yeah, it's definitely, I think, a four for me. A high yeah. four. High four. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, 
with all that being Wait, here we go. Oh, oh, I have a fan cast. Oh? I know. Uh, it's cra- Isn't that crazy? Tell me. I haven't had a fan cast in forever. Okay. Uh, it's only for Iris. Okay. Okay. Um, Iris should, if sh- the movie's ever made, we should invent time travel. And we should go back to Emma Watson and have Emma Watson be Iris because that is the only person I can see in my head as Iris the entire time. Yeah. I think she just because Iris has like like a soft beauty that really is encapsulated by Emma Watson. I totally mm-hmm. agree. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Kit Roman Kit is he's just tall, dark haired, pretty eyed. There's, I'm sure there's know, a myriad. I, I know what he looks like in my head, but I cannot think of a person who looks like that. Well, the, the, it's not even fan art. I think it's the cover of some of the, like, special edition books that have pictures of him on it. And it's a perfect, but there's no, like, actor that looks exactly like that, that I can think mm-hmm. of right now. But, um, no, I think Emma Watson's a, a phenomenal cast. For her. I mean, she's a little too old now, but, you know. Right. Uh, back in the day <sighs> i know we need to do more fan casting because i we always forget to do that and I, sometimes i feel I, like it's just it's hard easier. and sometimes it's hard because it, it really depends on what the author gives you I, we talked about yeah. this in our last review like i couldn't picture stellar christian in my head so that's on the author if i can't fan cast it's your fault um <laughs> Anywho, instead of placing blame, uh, now that we've finished kind of this spoiler-free portion, we are going to delve into some of the points of the plot that are very much spoilers. So if you have not read the book and you want to read the book, which you should, you should get out of here and then come back later when you finish it. Um, If you've already read it, you just don't have the time, you don't want to read it, and you'd like to know the spoilers, stick with us. We're going to talk about it, talk about the plot scene, talk about the end. Some predictions, maybe, mm-hmm. even though yeah, we said it's hard to predict. Um, but yeah, okay, okay. Um, first of all, the next book is called Ruthless Vows, and when I was when I saw that, I was like, "What the frick does that even mean?" Turns out, these people get married after literally knowing each other for twenty minutes. <laughs> well, they've known each other for a long time, but like confessing their love, they're like, "We should just get married." Like, wouldn't it be kind of silly and goofy if we did that? And they're like, yeah, let's just do that. And I think it reminded me of... Like... Sorry. Oh. I was going to say, did you see the movie Deep Impact at any point in time in your life? I feel like I have, but not any time recently. Okay, Wait, then you probably want to ask where it hits Earth? Yes. Okay, yeah. Okay, it's the one with Frodo. Yes, okay. Yeah, I haven't okay. seen it in probably okay. like eight years, but I've watched it before. Okay, so that movie was, like, one of my favorite movies growing up. <laughs> um, along with the movie Titanic and the movie Twister. I was a troubled child, okay? Oh, um, I loved Twister, too. And Armageddon. And documentary, documentaries about volcanoes. There was one about Mount St. Helens that I watched probably a thousand times growing up. <sighs> anyway. I watched a lot um, of dinosaur content until an embarrassingly old age. 
Interesting. Love dinosaurs. Um, okay, so in Deep Impact, you know how Elijah Wood gets married to that girl that's like in his neighborhood. That's what their wedding reminded me of. Yeah. In this book, it like it gave me like the same like imagery in my head as that scene did. I think it's just the it's the impending doom of war or mm-hmm. Armageddon. <laughs> Right. And people trying to find some little sliver of happiness in what mm-hmm. is ultimately an awful situation. Um, mm-hmm. They're wearing jumpsuits, obviously... so perhaps it's like <laughs> Annie and Fennec <laughs> in District Yeah, 13. okay, yeah, that kind of is reminiscent of that, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think, too, like, okay, so we talked about the typewriters in this spoiler-free portion. The magic typewriters. I think this is such a cute element in the story. I love them, right? So their grandmothers, each of their grandmothers gave them a typewriter. And their grandmas and one other lady used to be besties. So these magic typewriters, you can type out a message and it sends it to someone else with the typewriter. Um, And so Iris has one from her grandmother. Kit has one from his grandmother. And when Iris is writing all these messages, she thinks she's writing them to her brother and sending them off. And she's getting responses from Kit, um, and, like, she he doesn't reveal who he is for a really long time, but he figures out that it's her, right? Mm-hmm. And he's, like, he's always thought she was pretty, like, in real life, right? And then this whole rival thing with the newspaper goes awry. He ends up getting it. We all knew that was going to happen, right? Because he, yeah. Um, and, like, she decides she's like okay i'm gonna go to the front lines because uh, i really have nothing left for me here because my mom has just died yeah <laughs> and her brother's gone and she part of her wants to like go out there to see if she can find him and see if he's okay but i think also part of her just needs to get out of this the situation that she's in and to, she just needs a change like you know we've all go through that in life where like something needs to give um and so she leaves and that puts him in a freaking tailspin and then his daddy-o tries to betroth him to a girl he does not want to marry <laughs> uh, in my head you know do you know what she looks like in my head she looks like the uh, girl who wolfs out on wednesday yeah yeah <laughs> definitely <laughs> i can see yeah. that uh and, like, I feel like his grandma is really the only person in his corner. Um, but so he continues writing these letters to Iris. And then he finds out that she's on the front lines. And what does he do? Drops everything. And goes to the front lines. Um, and when he showed up there, okay, I kind of love the scene when he showed up, right? Because Iris has been briefed on, like, what all these different things mean. Like, there's big scary things that fly through the sky and drop bombs on you. Um, and so, like, there's bells in the town that ring to, like, signal stuff. Uh, and so, as Kit is coming in, his name's Roman, but she refers to him as Kit. As he's coming in, he's walking through the field and she sees him and he doesn't know what the the signals mean, right? So there's impending doom and she, like, sprints through the field to save him. And I could just, like, picture that in my head as I was reading it. Mm-hmm. It was so descriptive. Like, the imagery was so good. Um, and then, and then yeah, he, he gets there. She finds out that he's the one who's been writing her these letters this whole time. 
um she decides she's gonna go to the front lines to do war correspondence and he's like you can't go without me um so he goes with her and of course things go right he gets hurt and then she's like no kit not my kit um and then um they come back <laughs> he gets a little bit better i think his leg is messed up uh yeah. bomb went off. and then they're like let's get married I like you. Let's get married. And then they do. And then they do. Um, which I also kind of like because it removes his father's ability to, like, manipulate him if he ever goes back. Like, he's already married. Right. What are you going to do? But, yeah, I don't. I really loved the typewriters, though. I thought that was really cute mm-hmm. and sweet. And, like, I don't know. It's there's there's usually like an element in stories, like romance stories, where like one character is hiding something from another. But here, I don't feel like it's like super damaging. It's what he was hiding from her is that he's been supporting her this whole time, and like he's been there for her. And like, get married, right? Yeah, I think it's just and the she's, circumstances she, of the war. She also has like this like internal monologue with herself when like Kit comes and she's like, "But I like Carver." <laughs> yeah, and he's like, "Oh, I've got a surprise for you." <laughs> Yeah. So he, yeah, he tells her, he, she eventually finds out that it's not her brother that she's sending letters to. But then he tells right. her his middle name is his first name. Uh, and she feels conflicted because she's like, oh, I like it, but I also like Carver. Um, surprise. Mm-hmm. One in the same, lady. Uh, and she's not even that mad about it at first. At first, she thinks that he did it because he was, like, trying to, like, one-up her and, like, always, like, put her down. He's like, no, babe. Like, that's not at all what I was thinking. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. And then that's the end of it. <laughs> so she's, like, not super angry about it. And his his logic is so dumb. He's like, well, technically, I never lied to you because I said that my name was Carver. And that is my middle name after all. <laughs> Honestly, okay, I kind of liked that she wasn't super mad about it for a long time, because I feel like in books, a lot of times, this would be where, like, the third act, they weren't really together at the time, but that would be where, like, the third act breakup would be, right? Because it's like, oh, you hid something from me. And then they have to eventually come to the realization that, like, what they hid from them wasn't that bad, and it wasn't malicious, and it actually shows how much they care about them, and then they come around. So, like, I liked that we, like, streamlined that, and we didn't have this big, stupid separation because of a miscommunication. Right. Um, Yeah, I, I, I really, uh, that's, like, one good thing about YA, is that's kind of, like, to the point, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's like, we're not gonna be dilly-dallying around, okay? No putzing around. I'm over it. Yeah. Um, okay. What do you think is going to happen in the next one? I don't know. I have no I idea. I think that based on the title, I feel like, okay, so, okay, where we left off, okay. Her brother, Forrest, is actually on Dakri's side, who obviously in my head is played by the guy who played Billy in Stranger Things, because that is his <laughs> name. <laughs> Okay, I was um, and the whole time I was reading it too. <laughs> like anytime I hear the name Dakri, I'm like, oh, the guy from Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Um, he just plays such a good like villain too, sexy villain. Yeah, but is Dakri even really the villain, or is no, the myth but- wrong? 
well, he's not really a villain in Stranger Things either. He's manipulated. Um, Billy is racist. That is oh, that's true. Okay, that's true. I just meant <laughs> in the sense of like him eating people. He's possessed, you know. Oh, I mean, yeah, that that part's true. Like Vecna I mean, was like you know possessing him. Yeah, but... he's racist, so he's definitely one hundred thousand percent evil in that regard. But like the whole yeah, and he's also feeling... like trying to like like home wreck Mike's family. Yeah. So <laughs> leave Mike's mom alone. <laughs> um, boy, is she in for a surprise this next season? Um, so, I, okay, so Dak, so her brother's fighting on Dakri's side. He originally enlisted in the war to fight on um, Enva's side, and at some point in time, he changed. We don't know what led him to change other than he now knows something but he has not shared with us the audience what that something is yet um what we do know from the story is that daiquiri was in love with enva and enva came down to hell with him or the underworld or whatever and tricked everybody into falling asleep and like went around the castle and I don't know, like, got military plans, perhaps, or something, I don't know. And, but then she, like, returns back up to the sky. And when she goes back up to the sky, he's like, hey, babe, like, come back down to the underworld with me. What the heck? And she's like, mm, no. And then they get into a fight about it. And then that causes the war. Uh, and so, okay, so Iris is with her brother. She left behind Addie and Marisol and, um, Keegan and Kit all behind in the town that she was in. She is worried because her husband, Kit, is now missing. The last time she saw him, he was chasing her in a field and then fell to his knees and was that was the last time she saw him because um Forrest and Iris disappeared. She demands to her brother that they go back. They go back. There's nothing there other than people like kind of like it, it's it's been it's it's ash like it's just like this whole whole town that she was in is just all ash now mm -hmm. so what i think might be happening is i think i think i think daiquiri is probably in the right like regardless of what the war is like we, we were set up to believe that enva was in the right for the whole time and then the real story is that daiquiri is in the right um, this is kind of, it's kind of giving fourth wing. With her brother being, like, alive the whole time at the end. Yeah, and then, like, the people we think are villains the whole time maybe aren't even really the villains. Right, well, this book come out. This book came out this year. I don't so... think, I don't think they're, like, I, I think it's just, uh, again, we've said this a billion times, writing is very formulaic, but, like, just the, mm -hmm. the brother and then, like, the switching sides, right? Mm -hmm. And the, this is the real enemy, and the people that you've been sided with this whole time are maybe the bad guys, and now there's this separation between a couple because of familial ties and because of two sides of the right. war. Um, I think that either Daiquiri is going to be the good guy, or Kit is going to be in his evil PETA era. 
potentially. Well, I think there's got to be. I also, think- you know what I'm thinking, actually, now that I just, like, this just came to my head. Okay, so her brother is like, I came to save you. I defied all of Daiquiri's notions to come and save you. So, like, obviously Daiquiri's not perfect. But I'm wondering if maybe Daiquiri was even the person who attacked in the first place. Or if it's Enva attacking, pretending to be him because she walked around in this castle when he's asleep and knows all of his secrets and all of his plans. Right. Well, and, like, that reminds me, too, of, like, the Hunger Games when they're, when Coin right. drops a bomb on all the capital people in Prim. Um, right. To turn Snow's guards against him, even the most loyal people against him. I think mm-hmm. it could serve a similar function, you know, if she's bombing her own side or whatever to galvanize her troops against him, even if he's not the one doing it. But I think... Right. I think with a story like this, because Kit, I think there has to be equilibrium, right? So, like, in this book, Kit is really the one who is, like, infatuated with Iris, and they eventually kind of come to the same, they get married, so obviously, like, the feelings are reciprocated, but, like, I feel like he, like, he had to go to the front lines and fight for her. Not, like, in a sense of, like, she doesn't want to be with him and he needs to get her back, but, like, he, he needed to give things up and, like, go out of his way to solidify their relationship so now i think it's her turn to balance mm-hmm. the scale and maybe that's like the ruthless vow part right like he did his part he has gone out of his way to make their relationship work and now she not that she like purposely ran off with him but now she's with her brother right and like she left him behind and they have a vow a, a marriage vow a wedding vow and like mm-hmm. maybe he, he might even be in his evil Peta era but it's the same thing with that that katniss had to experience where like Peta put himself out there first, and then she had to fight for him. And it's mm-hmm. kind of like the give and take of relationships, but I think that would make a lot of sense. Like, Iris now has to show us her devotion to Kit mm-hmm. after he showed it in the last book, so that we know that their relationship is, like, reciprocal. Uh, and it really solidifies, like, the strong romance that, that exists between them. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. I think that. Yeah, that. It's hard to say what will be the actual outcome because, like, we mentioned a couple times, like, the book is just, like, it's not predictable. Like, you cannot predict what will mm-hmm. be happening next. Which is great because I feel like a lot of times books are so formulaic now where I'm like, okay. Here's what's going to happen next, and right. I know what's going to happen next. Or at least something along the lines of what I, what would make logical sense to happen next. This one's hard. Yeah. I don't, I will say too, like, I'm ex- I like this book, and I'm excited for the next one, but it's not one of the books where I'm like, I need the next one now. I don't know. Right. That's not, like, a negative thing on it. It's just, like, I'm mm-hmm. happy to... I'm also, at this point, I'm happy to wait for an author to make a good book as opposed to rushing right. out a sequel. So yeah, you, Iron Flame. <laughs> and again, um, I loved that book because I like the series, but it definitely had its flaws. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one in this one. It's only a duology, so... I kind of like that. Like, you know, that, and we talked about this in Iron Flame. Sometimes you need to know when to, like, draw the line with a story. Like, maybe we don't need right. five books, because where are you supposed to go from here? Um, right. And I think a lot of times, so, too, 
like that's why i liked ted lasso so much is because like as much as it got really good audience attraction and like the story was really good they weren't just continuing to create the story to draw in money they saw where a good point to end the show was like in terms of all of the narratives that they had going on and they did and it's still a really good show but it's not to the point like Grey's Anatomy where they sell out and keep making 28 seasons just to keep getting money and none of the main characters are there anymore that's like that's how I feel about a lot of these types of books like right you have something good if you have a precise narrative that you want to write there's no need to drag it out unnecessarily to just keep collecting revenue from books come up with a new story like you don't need to make there's some exception to that like the throne of glass series i think is one where like it makes sense that they're as long as they are but like a lot of times i think these series get out of hand so i'm glad that it's just a duology yeah Yeah, there it's starting to get to the point where I feel like every book that's advertised to us is one of seven. Um, or it's about to be turned into a TV show or a movie. Mm-hmm. That's like all it feels like now is that it's just, there's like no good standalones that are just like, here's this one book. Yeah. And that's all you get. Definitely not in fantasy. No. Like in romance sure there's some one-offs even i mean what i like about romance series is a lot of times they'll shift like like things we never got over the knockout series they shift character perspectives right and different mm-hmm. couples so it's the same universe but it's like different inner monologues it keeps things fresh but with fantasy books that go on for you know 10 five ten freaking books it's like it's from the same perspective the same character so it gets really hard to keep things fresh i think sometimes um yeah but it's still just really frustrating to have so much like beach read book lovers and people we meet on vacation and happy place all take place in like the same universe but they're all different stories yeah which i think like it's it's not like a perfect example right because it's uh romance books but like they all feel the same and they're all one-off books like there's no extra second book about gus and january meeting nora and and charlie like it's just not yeah that's how a lot of like ali hazelwood books are there there was like yeah. one book where they mentioned another couple um that was like in a previous book but for the most part they're their own independent stories within the same yeah. universe um i'm trying to think of like fantasy books that i've read where like and fantasy's hard right because it's like a story it's like a story of politics and it's hard to like it encapsulate all of that into one book yeah but even like duologies i feel like don't really exist anymore like it's always like and it's never even trilogies anymore it's literally like here are seven books that you have to read now yeah there's there was like a duology a fantasy romance duology that i read that was supposed to be like reminiscent of a kotar and the problem with that one i can't even remember what it was called at this point and i literally read it this year the first book was really good and then the second one was just so rushed and chaotic that it was like not a satisfactory ending like 
the first book for me was probably like a four and then the second one was like a one or two like it wow it was just it was really rushed and like that one should have been like three books i think or the author should have taken more time getting the second book out but like i think it's just hard to do to do fantasy in like such a short because half the time you have to spend the first half of the first book building out the world um and Mm -hmm. so there's like not a lot of plot that can be done there unless you're a really good author but yeah i don't think there's a ton of like one-off fantasy books yeah um which is hard because like i like fantasy but sometimes i don't feel like committing to a eight million book you know series yeah like for example i don't think like the like this is like sarah j mass does like this is we're getting so off topic but like sarah j mass does a horrible job of this like akatar crescent city and now throne of glass are all going to be intertwined and it's like i literally don't want that i do not care i do not want to read Eight million books. I did not like Akatar. Throne Glass is fine. You have to read fifteen books to get all of. So them. far, we're at least going to have another Akatar book and, and a- Crescent City three. Crescent City. Yeah. And intertwining all of those together is just like all it's doing is being like, "Hey guys, go buy all my other books. Thanks." Yeah, I will. S- you can read throne of glass without reading the other two and just like call it a day now they might she might bring the throne of glass characters back so like but like it has a somewhat satisfactory ending so you can read those and just like walk away but you can't read crescent city if you haven't read a kotar and most likely throne of glass and the crescent city books to begin with are fat like thick Mm -hmm. big books so that is kind of frustrating i guess you could read a kotar without reading crescent city but i feel like crescent city 3 is just going to be like a kotar 2.0 um mm-hmm. and so like i totally get what you're saying that's a lot of books to try and read just to be able to read the third book no, an entirely mm-hmm. separate series but if you're gonna read i mean i know you we forced you to read a kotar already <laughs> but if you're gonna read any like i would say throne of glass is the best one because you can just after you finish that series, you can just put it down and never read another Sarah J. Mass with again if yeah. you don't want it. I've already read Throne of Glass and Crown of Midnight, and I have Assassin's Blade on my TBR cart, so definitely will be reading that, but I just have not had any time to read no. outside of podcast reading these last few weeks. I totally get that, and I think, like, I don't know, I think you'll like the third book a lot. Uh, that's when it starts to get into, like, the whole magic fae larger war scenario right it'll get a little bit more complex but it's definitely executed better than a kotar in my opinion anywho yeah all that being said uh i'm glad this is a duology hopefully it's not rushed and um but i like that it's not being dragged out for money right me too me too so Alrighty. Well, uh, I think that's all we have on Divine Rivals. We'll be doing Ruthless Vows when it comes out. Be our, it'll be our first book of the new year. Yay. January 1st, Ruthless Vows. Um, and then after this review, we're doing all Christmas books um, yep. to get in the mood for this season. I loved I finished that book. It's so good. Ooh. 
Um, I ordered the other two books in this in that series, but they're not Christmas books. Um, yeah. This is what we're reading next. It's Love Light Farms by B.K. Boris. Yes. New new author for us. I liked it, so I hope Maddie likes it. Uh, it's a friends to lovers, so and I normally don't love that trope, but it's executed well. Yep. Um, so that'll next, be our next. And then, and then we're, we're doing uh, Wreck the Halls, The Christmas Fix, and Cold World. The Yeah. And ending this year the same way we started it, but hopefully on a better note. Yes. <laughs> uh, those are our plans for the rest of the year. And then we're getting into 2024 territory, and it'll be coming up on our one-year anniversary of the podcast, which is very exciting for us. Yeah. Yeah. Baby's first birthday. Um, oh. Oh. Uh, <laughs> proud mamas. Anyways, uh, thank you for joining us today thank you for all the support that you guys have given us if you want to know what we are up to when we are not here podcasting telling you about these books uh you can check us out on social media at the woody banter book club we are on instagram pinterest and tiktok um we also have some bookmarks on our etsy store if you want to support the pod um if you are listening thank you uh if you are watching also thank you uh please like subscribe comment you know the drill you know the vibe um and yeah so i think there's not really anything else to say aside from happy Happy reading. reading